Well, good morning. For those of you who are visiting with us or new to GBF, my name is Bob Douglas. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at uh, GBF. And um, in place of the normal sermon time this morning, uh, J.R. and Pastor Cliff, Pastor J.R., and I are going to share about our trip to India uh, this week. Um, we returned Friday from our annual trek down uh, to Tenali, India, uh, where Christ to India holds a pastor's conference every year for, well, this is the third year. And if you're not familiar with GBF's uh, mission's purpose, uh, we really have kind of two focuses. The first is pastoral training of indigenous men. Uh, Pastor Cliff has been literally almost all over the world training men, training pastors at seminaries, and we do this also down in Tenali. This year we had 156 pastors at the conference, and it was a tremendous blessing. But we do pastoral training uh, to indigenous men, and then we also have mercy ministries to widows and orphans. And so uh, we had a bit of both of those uh, this trip, and so we look forward to sharing uh, that with you this morning. I'm going to start by just giving some background and history uh, if you're not familiar, or if I said if you're new to GBF, you don't know about Christ to India, um, that is a formal ministry of GBF. We started the ministry a few years ago, but let me give you some background. Five years ago, I met John Paul at Shepherd's Conference, and he was a guest there from another church, uh, and he was looking for help with training pastors. At the time, he had a right out of 100 pastors that he was trying to cha- train, and he did not have the resources. And I remember thinking, wow, there's lots of people trying to reach into India. There's lots of organizations and groups. I'm sure we can get him connected with somebody. And Pastor Cliff and I both actually were helping him to try to do that. And uh, either that those resources weren't reaching into southern India where he was, or they came with ties that didn't make sense to him. And so we got connected with John Paul. And shortly after that, Pastor Cliff started doing Skype training sessions. Uh, there would be, John Paul's got this little office, and he'd shove like 10 or 15 guys in there. And uh, Pastor Cliff started training them in Skype. That was uh, just about three and a half years ago is when that started. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's the history of where we were. And I want to first put up a picture of, I think it's, is it John Paul or Isaac, the very first picture you got? That's Brother John Paul and me there at the, at the campus. Um, if you haven't seen him before, he's been here several times. That's John Paul. And the next, there's Brother Isaac. Dark picture, sorry about that. But that's Brother Isaac. Those two are brothers. They're about 15 years apart. They serve in the same church in Tenali. Their father actually started that church. Uh, Isaac oversees the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. John Paul does church planting and evangelism. And uh, it was great. We, he, he picked us up from the airport, and, and our love and, and, and friendship continues to grow with those two brothers. And uh, Isaac put his arm around me, and we were talking, kind of catching up, and he he says to me, brother, you've lost some weight. You've lost a little bit of your glory. I'm not sure what he meant by that. 
I think it was supposed to be a compliment. Lost in translation. But uh, we, we, we're growing closer and closer to these men. And it's, it's, it's been a great time. And this year was a particularly good conference. Every year, this is our third conference, every year you know, we, we fine-tune and, and try to improve it. But this year seemed to be a particularly good connection with the brothers. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is the workshops. I think Pastor Cliff is going to talk about that. Instead of just doing lecture seminars, we did some workshop stuff. Breaking up, doing it interactive with them, that was a good time. Uh, I shared with you, and I'll share again in an, I shared with you an email. I'll share again here in a few minutes a foot washing ceremony as well. That uh, just after that there was a connection and bond. But um, anyway, I want to go back to the, to the history. So after Pastor Cliff started doing some Skype training, we did an initial trip to India just to kind of vet the ministry out. As we all know, there's lots of scams uh, internationally in Africa and India. Uh, we wanted to really kind of see. What was happening? So we, we did a, an initial trip, valuation trip. Paige and Bob Burgess, uh, Cliff and Debbie McManus and myself all went. And uh, we were able to see the pictures that John Paul had been sending us were true pictures. The places that he had been talking about were true places. The pastors that he had been talking about were all true. So we, we started getting closer and closer to them in, them in ministry. We shared the needs with GBF. Uh, from GBF and others, we've been able to build a widow's home. We've been able to build an orphanage, things that were necessary and needed. We were able to build a, an elderly home. We visited all those uh, on this trip. And the trip, by the way, is kind of, there's kind of two parts. We arrive on a Saturday, typically, and we visit churches. They will gather their churches on that day. And we'll, we will visit them. I've probably been to 20 or more of their churches, being able to see their pastors, see the people, meet the people, see where they live, see the difficulties of, of their struggles, and then be able to preach with them. So we do that on Saturday and Sunday. This year we were at seven different churches uh, between those days. And then we also visited the elderly home, the widow's home, and uh, the orphanage. As well, so those are usually the first couple of days we we get to be out in the countryside and do that, and then we come back and at the main church in Tenali, uh, it's large enough there to house all the men. Uh, we have a three-day pastors conference where there's combination of lectures and workshops, like I said. So that is what makes up uh, um, our uh, our our time, and then the team that was this year. I think that's the next picture. There's the team that taught. Pastor Cliff, the gentleman next to him is Stephen Williams. Stephen was a graduate of the Cornerstone Seminary. He and his father and his brother all have ministry in northern India. He's from Pune, India. Uh, so Cliff and Stephen knew each other very well from the time at Cornerstone. Stephen's been with us every year there. So it's a, about a four or five hour flight from where he is in northern India down to southern India. So he's with us. Of course, J.R., you might recognize Ernan. Uh, Ernan, who's been here a couple of times from Honduras, went with us this year to India. He's a fiery guy. They loved him. Um, and, uh, of course, I'm there. And, and so those are the guys that were with us this year uh, teaching at the conference. And then every year John Paul prints a big poster. I think that's the official here's the conference poster, and it has our, our pictures on it. Oddly enough, so there, there's the picture of the conference, and then there's this picture 
of the Bynums and the Reagans at lunch with John Paul. And I don't know why, but that made it onto the poster. So the Bynums and Reagans hold a special place in John Paul's heart, I guess. Um, that was kind of funny. Uh, but um, this year's conference, like I said, had workshops, 10 sessions of training uh, from everything from the theological all the way to the daily practical. Uh, it was a good time with those men. So that's just kind of history and, and, and how the, the conference works. I just want to point out just a handful of highlights for me this year. It's hard to pull them out. We, you know, we sit around and we start talking about, you know, on our trip back, you know, what was the highlight? And it's, it's, it all seems to be a highlight. It's just one thing after another seems to be encouraging to our hearts. Uh, but I want to point out a handful of things this year. Uh, next one, if you can put up the orphanage pick. The orphanage is the second building that we built there. These children were literally in a hut, um, thatched roof, I don't know, 20 feet wide. Um, and we've built a, we've built an orphanage for them now. This is a sad picture. I don't, I should have got the picture with them raising their hands and all smiling, but it is tremendous to see these children. These children are abandoned. Um, some given up. I can't imagine. John Paul says they'll literally, parents will come up to the orphanage giving up their child um, because they can't take care of them. It's heartbreaking to hear some of those stories from him about how these children, I, I can't imagine what goes through their brain. Um, feeling unloved, forgotten. Uh, but praise God, there is a local pastor of one of the local churches who takes care of these these orphans. Uh, and in this village, there just tended to be a large group of orphans for the size village. They started housing them. Of course, they feed and take care of them, put them in school, uh, and of course, of course, share the gospel with them. So that is one of the main mercy ministries. Uh, everyone, the, the, um, the orphanage, the widow's home, the elderly home, are all coming out of the local church. This isn't a bunch of missionaries landing from another country saying, oh, we need to start these things. This is coming out of their local church. So there's a local pastor there with a heart for these orphans taking care of them. So that's that. And then the next picture, in this same little village, there are a handful of now widows that are homeless that the pastors started reaching out to. We have a widow's home, but it's like an hour to the west, the other direction. It's not close. And so this pastor started sharing the gospel with these women, and several of them have come to accept Christ. Not all of them, uh, but they, they had them there today. That day, they were having a special big lunch. They were providing some food for the widows as well. If there's extra food from the, from the orphans, they share that with those widows, but uh, they're praying about what do we do with these widows. That's something you can keep in prayer about. Um, there's six or seven of them there. So that is the widows. That was another little kind of highlight for me, um, meeting them, talking with them for a few minutes, being able to pray with them. The next slide, the evangelism. These, you might have a hard time finding me in this picture. We're all kind of wearing white shirts. Um, these are 10 men that, that's kind of the core of their evangelism group. We sat down with them one afternoon. 
to just hear from them what happens when they go out and evangelize and share the gospel. And it was heartbreaking. It was encouraging. It was, there was all, I, I felt a, a number of different emotions. Almost to a man, these guys shared how they are being run out of a village that they're trying to evangelize to, beaten, beaten with rods, chased out of a village that they're trying to evangelize to. Uh, one guy said someone came after him with a sickle. He actually cut his finger trying to defend himself. Um, <laughs> but interestingly enough, several of those stories turned to where the men chasing them out and beating them became believers and then members of their own church. So the courage that these guys have to, I mean, we share the gospel and we, we, we are, we're sometimes afraid we might offend somebody. These guys are getting beaten. And I don't know if I would have the courage to go out there and do that. And, of course, they don't want to get beaten, but to hear their stories and see the delight in their faces when they talk about the very men that try to beat them are now in their church as church members and, and believers and the delight that they have in their faces and the glory and the encouragement is just tremendous. It's just, it, words aren't, can't really describe to you how what I saw from them and how I felt and the encouragement I felt. It was tremendous. Um, those men, those 10 men, keep them in prayer. Please pray for them. Um, they, uh, they're, they're putting themselves out on the line all the time for Christ. That's for sure. Um, so I sent the email about the foot washing. If you could put that slide up. Pastor J.R. delivered a tremendous message just before this on the pastor being a servant, the pastor being a servant to the people of his church. We did that for specific reasons, um, and why we wanted to deliver that. And then we decided we want to do a foot washing ceremony after that, just to demonstrate even further, tangibly, how pastors need to be serving the men and women in their churches. And it was a highlight because of the connection. It wasn't the event itself. It just seemed that it's very difficult because their their language is written in the script. So there, 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 it's a script language. You keep, there's no alpha. There's no Greco-Roman alphabet. Uh, there's no connection at all. The, 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 the languages aren't alike at all. So we have a very hard time connecting with them. And there was something about that time after we did the foot washing where there was a brotherhood. Men came up to me after hugging me thanking me in the you know small way that they can uh, throughout the rest of the conference. Uh, so we had a connection like we haven't had before. And uh, so I wanted to share that. I thought that was, that was good. Last thing I have, Joseph. <laughs> All my pictures are dark. Can't see any faces. Um, Ernan is on the far left. Joseph is in the middle, Pastor Cliff and J.R. Joseph is a right-hand man of John Paul's. He's not a pastor. He's, in fact, I think he's his nephew. But he works with him doing a tremendous amount of coordination work, administrative work. Joseph is kind of our, I was going to say butler, but yeah, he, he takes care of us when we come down there. He drives us around. He's making sure we're taken care of. He's always running around. In fact, this year he did a little translation work 
uh, f- uh, for JR and I uh, as well. Um, Joseph had a heart attack uh, going back a while back. I can't remember exactly when that was. I want to say it was about a year ago uh, after the conference. We told you guys about that. Many of you prayed for Joseph, and thank you for those prayers. Joseph stopped me, uh, I think the second day of the conference, and wanted to thank me personally, encouraging me, please thank the people at GBF who prayed for me. When we were headed back to the airport to come home, he did the same thing to all of us in the car. He was very touched. He said he could feel God's power when he heard that our church, people that don't really know him, a half a world away were praying for him. He was encouraged by it. He believed it helped him in that healing process afterwards. And he wanted us to thank you personally for doing that. So thank you for, for praying for Joseph uh, in his time. He needs an angiogram. Doctor said, uh, can't do anything more from you until we have an angiogram. So once you can afford the money for an angiogram, come back and see me. And it's been months, and he needs an angiogram. In India, it's not that much. 600 bucks pays for an angiogram. Uh, I'm sure he'll need an angioplasty after that, but one step at a time. Uh, we would love to uh, raise that money. So maybe in this next week, if the Lord puts it on your heart, we need $600 for that. Um, so Joseph, uh, a great uh, a great addition or a great part of that ministry. Um, we could be thinking of him, praying for him, because he's still not through that whole process. Lastly, I wanted to thank you. Uh, without your support, we couldn't do this. Uh, we couldn't afford to, to put on that conference. We couldn't afford to be taking care of the widows and orphans like we do every year, like we do every month. Uh, and, <clears throat> and the utilities that are at these various places that we've built, uh, your donations are what help make that happen. And we can't thank you enough. We this year 156 men. That's like two times the amount of men that we had from the very first conference. So thank you for doing that. And I'm going to leave you with this video. This video is Ernan teaching these guys. I think it's just came upon him. He's teaching these men a song um, leading up to him teaching one of the seminars. So guys, why don't you roll that? Okay, so stand up.
Um, on my end, I'm going to talk about what the trip was like uh, for the first two days, because before the pastor's conference, uh, we, vi- we actually visited. So we got in, we got into Tenali, I think, on Saturday mid-morning, early afternoon. I forget when. I, I lost track of time when we were there. But uh, we visited between Saturday and Sunday six different churches. And so uh, I want to give a little bit of context as to, you know, the, the conversation I had with Isaac leading up to visiting those churches and the conference. So we were in the car driving from the airport to the first church, and he was talking about how because of the new government uh, and, and the way things are structured, things are just a lot more difficult for them as Christians because the government uh, is essentially against them. And so he said they're treated like uh, outcasts or, or riffraff of the society. And so, so then I asked him that I told him that I had a friend who had gone to India um, several years back uh, who told me about his trip. And his that guy's trip was a ministry to these people known as the Dalit people. Uh, and the Dalit and the caste system of India are the folks who aren't even considered a part of the caste system because they're just seen as out uh, as outsiders. And so they're the lowest of the low. And so I asked Isaac, I'm like, are, are you familiar with the Dalit? And I'm like, why am I asking? Of course he's familiar. Uh, and he said, actually, that's that's us. That's, that's them. Uh, so they are considered as Christians to be the lowest of the low, sometimes not even a part of the the caste system that that India has. And that gave me a little bit of context as to what it's like for them to basically, odds are against them physically, to even have a church service. And so going into the churches, it made sense why, uh, for one, they're not allowed to live in the inner part of the city, uh, so Christians are forced to live in the outskirts. And for most of them, the uh, the six churches we visited in Tanali and the uh, uh, Guntar district were all in the slums. And so I don't know what the pictures are up there, but I wanted to give you a visual. That's that's uh, the picture of one of the churches. They basically looked like they looked like a bunch of stones glued together with a um, with a hay roof on top. I mean, the ladies' bathroom here looks like the Hyatt compared to what the churches were like in there. Um, it's not clean. Uh, there's no air conditioning. It's hot. There's no interior design. There are no chairs. There may be two or three chairs saved for. Uh, the pastor and a couple other people. But for the most part, I mean, you have 75-year-old ladies sitting on the floor um, with their Bibles, and, and it's it's dusty. Uh, the air quality right now is bad here. It, it feels like an air freshener compared to there. And uh, for for one of them, if you can go to the next one, I think it may have been that one. That's the second church we visited where there was actually a, there was a buffalo stable right next to it, and so you could smell the buffalo. You could, and and there was a, a mound about this high of buffalo dung right in front of the entrance of the church, and <laughs> Pastor Cliff stepped on it um, because he was taking pictures of us, and I was like, it's right there, and and he didn't see it, and he stepped on it. So, uh, and then and and that that was right. I was I think I was standing at the entrance of the church when I took that picture. Um, and, and that's not snow, by the way. That's that's trash. Um, that's pollution. And, and so that's that's where their church is located. So it, it's tough for them to um, – you've got stray dogs running around, and they don't look like – they don't look like your golden retriever. They look like stray dogs. And I no wonder the Bible talks about dogs the way it does because that's what they're thinking of. Um, and so these are the conditions that they have to – they have to work through, and yet they're they're doing the same thing that we do. They're they're singing songs. They're 
they're, they're listening to the Sunday sermon. They have their Bibles in front of them. Some of them are taking notes. Um, they have a fellowship meal for a lot of the churches afterwards, and they're asking for prayer. So it's, it's physically much more difficult to have a church worship service there, not just from a governmental perspective, but just physically. It, it, I mean, uh, you know, there's no nursery. There, there are no toys for the kids to, and yet the kids are there. So uh, if you can go to the next one. Um, so that was the most luxurious-looking church that we went to, that they even had a, um, they had a white mat uh, over the floor, uh, and they had a couple chairs in the back. And that was actually one of the bigger the bigger church structures. Uh, the rest of the ones that we were at were basically the size of uh, the bathrooms that we have here. And, um, and again, most of them are sitting on the floor. The men all sit on one side and the ladies all sit on the other side. And if you notice that, again, the picture is dark, but on the, on the corner there are the kids. And what's interesting is the kids are actually part of not just the worship service, but the ministry. So those kids are the ones who are playing uh, whatever percussion instrument they had for the church service. There were a couple other kids who uh, were in charge of bringing uh, us um, some water bottles so we wouldn't have to drink their water. Uh, if you can go to the next one. And I just took a picture of those two kids because they, um, just because I felt like it. And they came with me right after the service asking for prayer. So, so that's what it's like for them. And if, if you think about it, uh, you know, the sun rises in the east. And so... When you think about global Sunday service, right, Christians around the world worshiping God on the same day, they're one of the first ones to wake up and worship God. So they carry the baton pretty early, uh, and they have to go through a lot to do that. And so we, we, we do have to consider ourselves thankful. For some reason, in, in God's ordination of things, we get to have church service here, um, and they have to have church service over there. But... Uh, and it was tempting, right, when you get up there to preach, it was tempting to turn it into like a, a charity event where you pull out a bunch of T-shirts and a bunch of snacks and, and give it to them as prizes. Uh, I think that challenged my convictions as a preacher that, you know, as much as I'd want to do that, that, that it is true that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And my job there was to uh, wasn't to hand out T-shirts. Uh, it was to open up the Bible and, and preach because that's what they were looking. Uh, that's what they were looking for, and that's why they were holding their church services. They didn't have us there as guests so that we could hand out T-shirts or water bottles. They were giving us water bottles. Uh, they invited us there to preach um, and to teach, and so, so that's what uh, that's what it was like um, for me. It was interesting because for those two days, I didn't come prepared with. I guess I just didn't read the email that we were going to visit those churches and be asked to teach there. So I didn't come with anything. Um, and uh, for one of them, one of the churches was right next to the, I don't have a picture of it. It was right next to the widow's home. And I didn't realize that that was the church that I was scheduled to scheduled to, to preach at. And so we get there and um, I had started prepping some notes um, in the car, in the car ride on the way there. Um, as my preparation, and then we get there, and then I, <laughs> I realized that the church consisted of about 20 or 30 widows, um, and I'm like, I think I'll, I'll change the sermon, so I got up, and then I immediately changed uh, the passage I was going to preach on to Mark 14, which talks about the significance of a worshiping woman uh, in the eyes of Christ, and, and that challenged me as I was teaching them, because 
you know, uh, it's easy to say those things to, to us here where we, we do experience certain luxuries. I mean, this is as, this is as poor as the world gets. You're in this part of India and you're in that kind of a system and you're a Christian and you're a widow. So you have no protection and you're in the slums uh, and you're homeless, right? And so to, to tell women like that, that even though the world doesn't esteem you a certain way, but worshiping Christ makes you significant in the eyes of God was, you, you really have to believe it to preach it. And, you know, and, and you really hope that they, that they take it and, and absorb it and live with it because, uh, they're gonna, after the sermon, they have to go back to the reality that, uh, they're living together in, in, in a widow's quarter. They don't have the protection of their husbands. They don't have the protection of the government. Um, they don't have their own work and, um, and they don't have families to take care of them. And they live in the slums. And there's buffalo walking around them all the time. And they have stray dogs that they can catch diseases and sicknesses from. And so, uh, you can, but again, they're doing the same thing that we're doing today. Uh, they're worshiping Jesus Christ and they're hearing from his word. And we trust that the word really is multiplying itself in, in that part of the country. Uh, and it, it doesn't have, church doesn't have to look like this for that to be real. So, that, that's what it was like for me in that trip. This was my second time going. Um, and uh, I, I, I did grow up in Asia, uh, in Southeast Asia, where, where I'm from. Those, those slums did exist. Um, we were just, for some reason, completely sheltered from it or told not to really think about it. And so for, for me to actually be, <laughs> to be in there, it, it was almost a shocker. It's like, so this is what... I wasn't, this, this was what was around me for nine years of my life that we, we just weren't told to interact with, but this is a reality. And we have brothers and sisters who were there who have to endure these conditions. So continue to pray for the believers there. Um, again, they're doing the same thing that we're doing, uh, with much less. Um, and so we be thankful for what we have and, and keep them in your thoughts, uh, every Sunday as we all worship God together. So. Thank you, Jr. Well, I'm going to share. I've only there's too much to share. I can't possibly get it all in in the next hour. Wait, why? Why are you laughing again? No, just what a wonderful trip. Thank you for praying. That's the first thing I want to say. Is thank you for praying for four years now. This church body has been involved. In many ways, our members, by praying for the ministry here to India and also giving of your resources financially very generously, and God has honored that. And I have the privilege to wrap it up here of the highlights. But before I do, if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me or you can just listen real carefully. I've got some scriptures I want to share with you. The first one, these most of these will be familiar verses, but we need to be reminded from God's word from the scriptures this is god speaking to us today matthew 28 the lord jesus christ before he went into heaven in matthew 28 as before he ascended into heaven he commissioned his apostles and his disciples who were to remain and this was their mandate this was their charge this was uh, the mission of the church we are a part of the church this applies to us today it's called the great commission matthew 28 
19 and 20. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So that's the mandate. That is a command. It's not an option. What is the purpose of the church? Well, one of the main purposes of the church, local church, universal church, is to do this. Make disciples, not just here where we know people and are comfortable with them, or in our neighborhood or locally. The Lord Jesus specifically said, of all nations. So that means to the ends of the earth. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. An ongoing teaching ministry to believers around the world after giving them the gospel and they believe in the promise the Lord Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1, go there. Flip a few books over. Once again, the Lord Jesus Christ preparing his disciples. This is after his resurrection, again, just before his ascension. Preparing his apostles to lay the foundation of the church, the church that you are a part of if you're a Christian. And starting in verse 7, Acts chapter 1, 7 and 8, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's, you don't need to know when God's going to end the world, when the end of the age is coming. You don't need to know that. Just be faithful as a steward until he does end the world or until Christ returns again. And while you're waiting faithfully and patiently on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom, Verse 8, here's what the church should be doing. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, if you're a Christian, and you then you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem locally. Every Christian is commanded to do that. Every Christian can do that. Be my witness locally in Jerusalem, and then after that, a little further beyond, and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That is a mandate for every church. Grace Bible Fellowship. Um, go to, keep flipping in your New Testament there. You can go to the book of James. Hebrews, James, towards kind of the back of your Bible. Chapter 1, verse 27. The book of James, one of the first New Testament books written. James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, who once mocked Jesus in John chapter 7, his own half-brother. And then after Jesus rose again from the dead, James got saved. And then God raised James up to be the leader in the early church of Jerusalem. And here's what James says in James 1.27. This is pure and undefiled religion. This is what pleases God. What is that? Well... This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That pleases God. And also to keep oneself tainted by the world. I don't have time to go to the book of Acts and the book of Galatians where the Apostle Paul went to meet with the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, the apostles, regarding the purity of the gospel. And Paul spoke up with great conviction, conviction, reminding them Gentiles can be saved too, not just Jews. So the apostles needed that reminder. They said, okay, Paul, we believe you are from God. We bless your ministry. Uh, God be with you, be at peace. But Paul, we do ask you just one thing while you go out and evangelize the Gentile world. Just one thing, Paul, remember, 
in addition to your ministry, and that is remember the poor. Remember the poor. And Paul said, I, I gladly do that. So the Apostle Paul, wherever he went, building churches, preaching the gospel, always was mindful of the poor. And that was the physically, literally poor. Gave special attention to them. We need to do the same. And then one more verse before I share a few of my slides, and that would be in First Timothy chapter 2. These are all foundational mandates given to the church in terms of the purpose of the church. What should a church be doing? Why, why do I pick this church? Why do I go to that church? Do I go to that church to be entertained by their music? Do I go to that church because they have good facilities? They have a good youth program. They have a good children's program. They have my political view. I like their music. I like their snacks. The preacher's entertaining. He preaches happy sermons. Well, those are options for some people. I'm just reading the Bible. Mandates of what should really constitute and drive a biblical church. So the last one, 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul, who is an apostle but also an elder and a pastor, he's been mentoring young Timothy. Timothy is also a church planter, evangelist, leader in the church, elder, pastor, all of these roles. And actually, oops, is it 2 Timothy 2? Sorry. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here is the commandment that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy and really of any other church leader. What you're supposed to be doing in the local church. Starting at verse 1. You therefore, my son, my spiritual son, Timothy, even though he was a pastor, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ and the things which you have heard from me, biblical doctrine, biblical truth. For us, that's the New Testament and the whole Bible. So the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... These scriptural biblical truth entrust to faithful men. In other words, I'm a pastor. I'm an apostle, Timothy, and I trained you. You are a pastor, a church leader. Now, you need to train others. Okay, that's three generations of church leadership. But he doesn't stop there. The things I've taught you, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, Timothy, you need to train other men who can train other men. So a priority in any local church is the training of other godly men who can train other godly men in local churches. If you can strengthen a pastor in a local church, that is going to strengthen the saints who go to that church. To feed them, to protect them, to lead them. And that's really one of the main goals Pastor Bob mentioned earlier. Of what, what are we trying to do over in India? It is a very unique opportunity and privilege that has been set before us by God providentially to help train, lead, encourage, starting with the pastors there in India in a very hostile. Go ahead and put up the first slide. This is where we were. It's down in kind of southern eastern India in the red spot there. Tanali is the name of the city going towards the coast. It is a, a Hindu area. It is and it's not just a Hindu area. Highly Hindu, and also the Hindus are very hostile towards Christians. Not just in terms of attitude, but physically hostile. It's a very difficult area. So our goal is to encourage these pastors, in terms of fellowship, resources, biblical training, encouragement, and so God has allowed us to do that. So just in the last three years, we started our first pastor's conference three years ago, 80 men in attendance. It was amazing. For three days. Then last year, 120 local pastors came from two hours away. Any way they could get to the facility, whether it was 
taking a, a taxi or riding on a scooter to get there. And then this year, God blessed us with about 160 pastors, again, from two to three hours away. How they heard about this. And they were there with us for three days. We, we gave them about 16 one-hour teaching sessions of every conceivable important area that we thought pastors need to know about and be encouraged in. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, we're building a legacy, really. We are investing in the future of those Christians for, I think, generations to come. So thank you for your ongoing prayers. For any investments that you have, have given, we greatly appreciate it. These men are blessed. Go ahead, and we're just going to go through the slides now. Uh, this was early on, as J.R. was saying, the first six churches. And there's Brother Ernan, Pastor Bob, and J.R. afterwards just praying with the people in the street, the ladies in particular, the widows. They just ask you to pray for them, and so that's what they're doing. Next one. Uh, this was at a, a school. It was a public school. And they don't have any resources, but we were privileged to go there, talk to about 60 of the children in elementary age, and we passed out school supplies through the ministry of CTI, Christ to India, which is under the umbrella, informally, of Grace Bible Fellowship, and we were able to just bless these students. who They don't have any resources. They're sitting on a cold cement floor because they don't have chairs outside, and it's 90 degrees. Mosquitoes are biting us. And the children were blessed. What in the world is that around J.R. and Ernan's neck? Well, at times when you go to the certain of these village churches, the people hear about it that, oh, the pastors are coming. The pastors are coming from America, from California, from the promised land of California. And little do they know. Um, and so they are anticipating this literally for months. They don't have anything in terms of resources. But they want to give. They want to fulfill First Timothy 5. that says, honor those who... Lead you in the Lord or Hebrews 13. Honor church leaders, honor pastors. They want to do that, but they don't have physical resources due to it. They don't have money. What do you, what kind of, they can't give anything to an American. So they, they have these things, these beautiful things made just with simple flowers and marigolds that, that are, that take time. And they, they, that's a sign of affection, of love, of giving. It is an insult to decline it. You need to welcome their giftedness and imagine all these people, these Christians there who have no resources. And yet God has put his spirit in many of them with the spiritual gift of giving. What do you do if you have the gift of spiritual uh, giving of the, the spiritual gift of giving, but you don't have any money? How do you give? How can you give to others? How can you be satisfied and reach your potential in the giftedness of giving? Well, they have found many ways. And this is this is one of them. Uh, out of service, out of offering you a a privileged place at the table or on the floor to sit or just putting one of these garlands around your neck. It's just sweet. Uh, these guys did a fantastic job, by the way, just wonderful. Pastor Ernan and JR. Okay, next one. And this is Pastor Stephen. These pictures, sorry, these pictures are so dark. Um, Stephen Williams, born and raised in India, came out here to California to go to the Cornerstone Seminary where I'm a board member, where also I have taught. I taught Stephen at least two classes while he was there. He graduated about eight years ago, went back to India, planted a church. It's thriving. It's amazing. And then I asked Stephen three years ago, man, you need to come help us in India. He's been there. This is his third year. He doesn't speak their dialect. They speak Telugu. He speaks something else. So he has to speak in English and get translated. Yet he's of the Indian culture. He, there is a special connection that Stephen has with these men. They greatly appreciate him as a pastor, and his messages are just powerful. 
As a matter of fact, uh, the men spoke out publicly how blessed they were by Pastor Steve, and I just thank God for him. Go ahead. Uh, this was one of the this was the elderly home, I think it was, that GBF helped build. This once was a plot of dirt next to a half-built church. And then me, JR, and Pastor Bob, two years ago, stood on that plot of dirt, and then the pastor there at church said, uh, can you pray for us that God would allow us to build a building for our elderly here? Otherwise, they're just they're on the street, they're on the sidewalk, they're on the patio of the half-built church. We came home and shared that with you. We collected the money quickly, and then they built uh, the building within a year. And then we got to go back. So this is the first time for me seeing it, and we're in there, and their faces are beaming. They're sitting on the floor. These elderly people, there must have been 40 to 50 in there. And I just told them how uh, God allowed us to give them those resources to build that home. And they were just absolutely delighted, and they were so thankful. And there's this lady in the front row here. Uh, there she is. That was like one of my favorite pictures. She was just looking at me the whole time, smiling. Her face was beaming. Uh, and she was just, as I talked about you praying for her, and she was just so incredibly thankful. So uh, she was a sweetheart. She's one of many who were like that, incredibly appreciative. Next one. Uh, and this was another shadow picture. That's me going like this, preaching to my seminar of 50 men. We had 150 men. We broke them up into three sections, and I had a seminar, and then Bob had a seminar, and JR had a seminar, and I'm, I'm teaching expository preaching to my 50 men, and I'm having a translator, and I'm getting to know them at a more intimate level. I'm learning things about them. I had one of their pastors come up in each session, and I interviewed the pastor. And I learned things I never knew, even though I've been dealing with these pastors for four years because of my 10 diagnostic questions that I would ask them. And and this is how it went. Uh, Pastor, how long do you typically preach on a Sunday? And each of the three sessions, each pastor said about an hour. I said, oh, all right. That's about what I preach. And then I asked the rest of the pastors there, does anybody here preach less than an hour? A few hands went up. And then I said, does anybody here preach more than an hour? And a few hands went up. And then I asked the guys who preach more than an hour, how, how long do you preach? And one brother said, an hour and a half. I was like, whoa. And then there's another brother, how long do you preach? There was one pastor said, two hours. Two hour sermons. So we talked about that. And they wanted to know why I preached for about an hour. All three groups, 156 pastors. Uh, yeah, ask it. Pastor Cliff, why do you preach for 50 minutes to an hour? I said, two reasons. It's not in the Bible, first of all. For two reasons. If I preach longer than an hour, much of my congregation will fall asleep. Number two, if I preach longer than an hour, then much of my congregation will get angry and complain because they are hungry because it's lunchtime. And then all the pastors, they were laughing and I was, oh, yeah. And then uh, the next day we had Q&A from the whole group and one of the pastors uh, raised his hand. He's a significant leading pastor there, Pastor Shadrach. And he said, Pastor Cliff, thank you so much for your teaching and uh, on expository preaching, and I was one of the pastors. I preach an hour and a half sermons every Sunday. Thank you for reminding me, letting me know I should only do one hour. So from now on, I will do one hour. I said, whoa, 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 through the translator. Whoa, whoa. Can you do another whoa, whoa? Whoa, Chadrach. I'm not saying you have to preach an hour. It's not in the Bible. I mean, if you can preach for an hour and a half and your people tolerate it and like it, keep doing it for an hour and a half. And then Isaac translated that. And then all the other pastors started laughing because and then the pastor Shadrach was shaking his head saying, no, they don't like it. (laughs) And I said, then, yeah, you better do 55 minutes then. So 
we did some very practical training. So that was one of the questions. Other thing, they preach out of the Bible. Another thing I learned out of 156 pastors who preach out of their Bibles, they preach scripture, but they don't know what expository preaching is. They don't preach through the Bible. This week it's, um, oh, okay, Job chapter 1. And then next week it's, oh, uh, Ezekiel 23. I don't even know who Ezekiel is, but I guess I'm preaching here. And then they study that passage. And I am not kidding. It's random. There's no continuity. There's no progression. So I just simply explained to them, we need to preach in the New Testament, New Testament primarily as new covenant ministers. Jesus is the fulfillment primarily. Use the Old Testament. And you need to preach through books of the Bible in the order in which they were given and written, because that's how they were given. Paul's book to Ephesians was written as a letter. We need to teach it and read it as a letter as he gave it. This was New information, this was eye-opening, this was revolutionary, and that they were just simultaneously singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a novel concept. And I told them, I have preached through Ephesians, the whole book at my church, and again, hallelujah, hallelujah. The whole Gospel of John, the whole book of Revelation, Titus, they just, wow. So they were committed. Thank you for sharing that, something new, uh, and they're going to try it. Next. And this was just a long shot. There's The building on the left is where the church is, a sizable church that God has blessed Isaac and John Paul with, where we have the conference and can accommodate 170 men. And then down below is a tent. That's where the shepherds, pastors conference was, where they ate and had fellowship outside in the 90-degree weather with the mosquitoes. Next. Uh, Some of the pastors have enough money resources to have a motorcycle. Most of them don't. Some of them have cheap, run-down mopeds or even pedal bicycles to get to the conference. John Paul is one of the rare people that actually has a car or vehicle, and that's thanks to the ministry of all of you. This is the line of the foot washing line of 165 men. Uh, For the first two years that we went there, and the first two times I was there, I noticed that the people there, the pastors and their people, because we are, I don't know what it is, because we're either visitors or we're Americans or we're pastors or a combination of all three, you're kind of treated like a Hollywood rock star. They treat you kind of like a Hindu guru sometimes. And it makes you feel uh, a little, It's a, you know, there's a balance here. They want to honor leaders in the church, like 1 Thessalonians 5 says, which no one in America does anymore. But at the same time, there's a little too much glorification putting us on pedestal so we how do we teach this how do we counterbalance this and so that was the idea of the foot washing i and i knew there would be probably initial resistance to the idea so just before we did the foot washing after jr taught i got up and explained what we're about to do and i just talked about jesus before in the last supper with his 12 apostles got down on his hands and knees as the lowliest servant in the room and he washed the apostles dirty feet as an illustration a living parable of an act of love the heart of a shepherd true service this biblical leadership leads by service and then peter resisted oh lord no you can't wash my feet you're the lord and and, and jesus said then you have no part of me and then peter overreacts and well then give me a bath and jesus said no i'm not giving you a bath i'm washing your feet So I told the pastors, that's what we want to do. This is just a symbol. We came here from California to serve you, to encourage you. We're not here to be served by you. 
And to illustrate that, now we are going to go out and we are going to wash your feet. And you, I want you to let me wash your feet. Don't resist. Don't be like Peter. I am not greater than you. And I'm also not going to give you a bath. And so we had the privilege to go out there and wash their feet. It was amazing. Unbelievable. So there we are. We're washing feet. And the pastors are, they're just overwhelmed. They're humbled. They sit down and they're, they're holding my head, kissing my forehead, tears, praying, holding my hand. Thank you. And they were doing that to all the brothers that were washing it. They just couldn't believe that we were going to wash their feet. So that was a, a wonderful idea that God gave to, uh, Bob. Pastor Bob and my, my buddy, Pastor Dave Witt, who went last year. And uh, it actually broke down the walls. That was on Monday. It was great timing because it just allowed us to connect the rest of the conference as brothers in the Lord. So uh, going to the next picture. And there's the school where the students were. And go to the next one. And that was a seminar under the tent in the nice, humid, hot weather with about 50 guys in the next one. And there's a group shot at the very end, about 160 pastors. And most of the pastors wear, see that what I'm wearing is wearing because this is typical. This would be John, Paul, and Isaac, or many pastors. This is what they wear. Not a conspicuous clerical collar or some fancy glowing robe as a holy man, but just pants and shirt. A lot of times, for whatever reason, they're white. But as I, we drove out in the neighborhood, I mean, just people who weren't even Christians are wearing white, very similar clothing. So this is kind of... Uh, a part of that culture very simple although look at that there's some pink and blue and yellow then there's jr with his uh, olive green shirt and that was the end of the conference absolutely blessing so thank you i wanted to thank you and those of you many were sending emails or told us you were praying specifically so here's how god answered your prayer thank you for praying god provided safety for everyone all the pastors that came went and all of us that traveled from afar answered a prayer number two there was health Health for everybody, enough to everybody persevere uh, through the conference. Amazing. Answer to prayer number three. 160 pastors were blessed. They were trained. They were given resources. They were encouraged. Uh, they were filled with love. One of the resources we gave them tangibly was J.R. Cuevas, uh, over the course of four years, wrote a survey of the Old Testament, book by book, and we had that translated into Telugu. It's about 300 pages in Telugu. They have zero Bible resources in Telugu. Zero. All they have is a, a Bible in Telugu that was translated from King James Version in the, in the 1840s. That's it. They can't tell you when the book of James was written or who wrote it. They don't know. So J.R.'s book now gives them a survey. Moses wrote this book in this year. Here's the theme. It's amazing. If you want to go to Amazon dot com and look up J.R. Cuevas C.U. And then it's skillfully surveying the scriptures. You can see the book there, which we're going to have a hard copy soon here at GBF. We have that translated in Telugu. It is mammoth. It's huge. It's a, a fantastic resource. It's going to be there uh, for ages to come. It is absolutely unique. It'll be the first of its kind in that language. Now we are praying that we want to have Dr. Colin Aiken's book translated, the whole thing, all 400 pages, because that's an overview of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if we can get that translated by next year, uh, there will be nothing like it in Telugu. And it's going to be a tremendous resource to our pastors for years to come. So please be praying uh, about that work. Well, thank you for listening. I will be up here for questions. If you have any further questions, we're going to keep sending out emails for more updates 
about the ministry there. Those of you who are visiting today, thank you for coming today. I met several visitors, people from the UK. We've got a whole row of people from the UK. We've got people from San Diego. Uh, Pastor Hernan, his family is here because Jorge is a cousin of Pastor Hernan. Jorge, raise your hand back there. Jorge is way back in the back row. And his wife, Ruth, and they are here from San Diego. They just moved to this area. Most people are moving out of this area, Jorge, by the way. But there are a few courageous people like Jorge and Ruth moving to this area. They just got here. Uh, and they're two boys. Uh, that's Erdogan's cousin. And so welcome them. And I also met some visitors today from Pioneer Academy and, and other visitors. From Australia, down under. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. And just so you know, if you're visiting, do we do Mission Sunday every Sunday? No, we, we actually teach through the Bible. So I want to th- say thank you to Jay, uh, Dr. Derek Brown for preaching for me last week, bringing the word, and then we will resume our study of the book of Genesis chapter 2 next week. And let me pray for us all and commit this day to our Lord in thankfulness. Father, we do thank you for this day, the Lord's Day, a gift from you. What a privilege to meet up with fellow believers, to encourage one another in the Lord, to be filled up as we go out into the world, and in this area, many times a very hostile world. So we thank you for this privilege of having a church family, the privilege to learn from the Bible, the privilege to worship you as the only God, the only Savior. God, thank you for the generosity of so many here at this church and actually across the country who have contributed very specifically to the goal of training pastors in India and also meeting the needs of orphans, widows, the elderly, the infirm, all in obedience to commands you have given us through your word. Bless this work, Father. Thank you for the wonderful privilege to be a part of it. And now we commit our day to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.